Welcome to the Practice Brave Podcast. I'm your host, Brianna Battles, a strength and conditioning coach and the founder of Pregnancy and Postpartum Athleticism. The Practice Brave Podcast brings you the relatable, trustworthy, and transparent health and fitness information you're looking for when it comes to coaching, being coached, and transitioning through the variables of motherhood and womanhood. If you're a pregnant or postpartum athlete or a coach working with this population, this show is specifically designed for you. All right, let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the Practice Brave podcast. Today I am here with my friend and fellow pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach, Inemesit Graham. She runs Mummy Fitness out of Northwest Territories in Canada. And she was laughing at me right before this podcast because I called it Northwest Territory. And she was like, no, don't do that. The Canadians will know. So I'm really excited to have her here today because we're going to be talking about her story. And one thing I love that she does is she storytells so well about her entire life as a child and her experiences with a hernia that she had at birth and then how that is translated into body image and diastasis and motherhood and even being a black woman working in the fitness industry. So her story is powerful and I'm really excited to share it with you today. So Inemeset, welcome to Hi, the podcast. Hi. <laughs> Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Well, let me start out with just giving us a little bit of background info on you and like how you got started in pre and postnatal fitness. Well, I was born in Nigeria. I lived there till I was five. And then I moved to England where I grew up. I met my husband, who's Canadian, and I've been living in Canada, in Yellowknife, which is actually the only Canadian city I've ever lived in, for the last 13 years. I have three sons, all of whom were born here. And so our lives are here as a family, and we're rooted in Yellowknife now. I um, got into postnatal fitness just through my own personal experience. As a child, I've always been naturally skinny. I'm tall, I'm skinny, so the marketing I saw for fitness was for weight loss. You want to be, lose weight. If you want to be skinny, then you should exercise. And I was like, well, I'm already skinny, so I don't need to exercise. So it wasn't after my second child when my body changed so dramatically is what kind of drew me in. And so after I had my second child, my belly, which was always naturally flat my whole life, after my first, it had been flat. It was extremely distended. And I didn't really know what was going on about with that. So I thought, well, you know, maybe I just need to lose weight. And so my natural weight at that time sat at around 110 pounds. And I thought, well, I'll just go on a diet because that's what you see. Have a baby, go on a diet. And so I lost weight and I went down to 90 pounds, but my belly still distended. I was like five foot seven, 90 pounds, super skinny everywhere else, but my belly stuck out. So I was like, well, maybe this isn't a weight loss thing. And so um, I started joining fitness groups. And I remember posting my pictures online one day and someone said, do you have a diastasis recti? And that was the first time I'd ever heard that word in my life. So I Googled it and up came images of all these bellies that look just like mine. And so that kind of is where my personal journey into it began. So I just wanted to know more. I love that. And I remember finding you, honestly, it, it had to have been close to six years ago because I also remember thinking to myself, wow, like I see a stomach that like has been changed by pregnancy. And I felt that way about my own. So I became so hyper aware of what other people's abdomens looked like, you know? Yeah. yeah. Cause then you wanted to see like, 
well, am I the only one that looks like this? Is it only happening to my body? Right. And that's like the beauty of social media, even back then was that was such a small circle of people that were talking about this and were sharing part of their story. And you did that so well. Yeah, it was just, I've just felt I was at my bottom and I think there's power in kind of hitting rock bottom in kind of feeling like there's nowhere else to go because that's where I was. And I literally turned to fitness because I was like, well, I mean, I don't know what else. Exercise is the one thing I haven't tried. And then my relationship with, because I speak about exercise versus surgery and mine was like, some of it is rooted in trauma. And that's why it's important to know your client's story before you kind of, for me, Mm -hmm. force them down one route. Because I was born with two hernias. I was born with a large umbilical and a large para-umbilical hernia. And a para-umbilical hernia just means that it sits above the belly button. An umbilical hernia is at the belly button. So like technically, everybody, every single human is born with an umbilical hernia because the word hernia just means whole. At the umbilicus, the belly button, when you're born and the umbilical cord is cut off, there's a hole underneath the surface, a really tiny hole. And that's where your belly button is. That's why you can push into your belly button. So that's very calm. Everyone has it. Sometimes it's bigger. There are a number of reasons it could be. Uh, Sometimes it's just genetics. That say that about 30% of African children have an umbilical hernia. When we speak about that, when you just define it as umbilical hernia, it's usually meant as a hole larger than that tiny belly button hole. So mine was large. And as a child, you could see it because my belly button, it looked like my belly button stuck out like two inches. It was like a large protruding belly button. And above it, I had like another small bulge. But I remember like I'd always had it stuck out through my clothes, but it wasn't something I was really ever aware of when I lived in Nigeria. I remember my cousin had one. And my sister had one and nobody spoke of it. But then when I went to England, it was there were a lot of different things that made me different. Then, then it wasn't common. I also moved to a city that was predominantly white. I was the only black child in my first school when I moved there. So now I was different because of the hernia, but I was also different because my skin was different. I spoke differently. I had come straight out of Nigeria. I didn't speak English when I went to England. And I was in school with children that I didn't understand and that didn't understand me. And the belly was a big thing. And I started becoming aware of the honey because people started pointing it out to me. And children don't have any filters. They say what they see. And I became self-conscious about it. And so the story my mother tells me is, she said that I got so worried about the way I looked that I stopped wanting to take my clothes off in front of anyone. In school, you change for physical education. I refused to change in school. She said, then I just stopped refusing to change in front of her. And I was a six-year-old who was refusing to take my clothes off in front of my own mother. And so she was worried that that would lead me to have body image issues. And so she wanted to find out if she could fix the problem. And that's where the surgery came in for me. My, my dad is a doctor. He's a surgeon. He's a gynecologist. And so he like kind of knew people in the hospital and he talked to some surgeons, which this was, he was the only black doctor in his hospital. And they really didn't have an understanding of, they'd never seen a child with these two big hernias. So I got operated on and I have like just horrible memories. The whole experience is horrible. I remember being in the hospital. I remember this one nurse just being really mean to me the whole time. I remember looking at her and she kept saying things to me. And I remember I couldn't understand what she was saying. But one thing I grabbed was that she kept telling me to drink water. I remember it was a glass of water. She kept telling me to drink it and I wasn't thirsty. And there was a time that I was just playing and I spilled the water and she came over and she was like yelling at me and she thought I was stupid. And she thought, 
And I remember her saying, this is your fault. Now I'm going to have to put you on a drip. And as a six-year-old girl in a hospital, and I'm really confused because I've been in England for about a year now, I remember trying to play in a dollhouse. And because now I was connected to this drip, because I had spilled my water by accident, as I understood it, I couldn't get into this dollhouse. And then post-surgery, I just remember it being painful. Like I didn't even really understand why I was having the surgery as a child. Like my mom later, because I asked her as an adult, I said, why did you let me have surgery? And she told me, she was like, because you were so self-conscious and I didn't want you to grow up <laughs> with body image issues, which as an adult, I laughed because, I mean, it, she couldn't have, a, she didn't, wasn't able to avoid that. And so like, I have horrible memories of the surgery. I remember this, the dressings being changed at home. And my dad, because he was a doctor and he was a Nigerian doctor and he just did the nature of African men. They're very, the fathers know everything. And he was a doctor and he felt that he couldn't do the surgery himself, but he could do the aftercare. So I had all the aftercare at home. When it came for my stitches to be pulled out, because I had put, been put under anesthetic for the surgery and that's something, you know, there's a risk that you may not wake up. There's a small risk, but as a mother watching your child be in surgery, it was hard for my mom. So she said she didn't want me to be put under general anesthetic for the stitches to be taken out. So I was, the stitches were taken out with no anesthetic at all. And I remember them being pulled out of my body. I remember every stitch being pulled out. And so as an adult, when I approached my doctor and I told him about the diastasis and I said, what can I do? And he said, well, you can have surgery. And he said, but I wouldn't, and I had two children at that point, And I always wanted three, said, I wouldn't recommend you have surgery until you're done having children. And so I left the hospital and I was like, well, I want to have a third child, so I don't want to have surgery. I don't really don't want to have surgery either because I have this traumatic experience with surgery right. and I don't want to look like this. And so it was like, at that point, I felt like I really have no option but for exercise to work for me. And so sometimes on social media, people will say like, oh, you're brave. I wish I had your patience not to have surgery. And I'm like, it really isn't about bravery or patience. Like it's quite the opposite. I was scared. I had a traumatic experience with this and I just, it didn't want to repeat it. I felt like I had no other choice. Absolutely. And I love what you had started with where you said, that's why we have to know people's stories and just have context, especially as coaches and practitioners, we can't just assume that this one way is the best choice for you know everybody or for you without actually getting so much more context about your life and experiences. And I just, I love how you have, I mean, I, we both, right, have been in this together for a while with, with walking the diastasis, like, I guess the diastasis spectrum and the pendulum swing of information that was available six years ago. And now the information that we, we practice and teach. So tell us when you realized, um, okay, I don't want to get surgery, but I also want to use fitness to help take control and do whatever I can to improve this diastasis before my next pregnancy. What did that look like for you at first? Well, it was, it's so nice when people say, I don't like exercise because I'm like, I didn't either. <laughs> so first, I thought, okay, how am I going to get rid of this belly? And you see all those snapback things. People say I ran and I lost weight. So I'm like, cool, let me start right. running. And I ran and it hurt my back, hurt my belly hurt. And I was like, okay. Well, maybe I'll run a little bit less and I'll do something else. And so I started trying. I'd like, okay, look, all these five exercises to fix your abs. I'm like, okay, let me try the crunches. There was a time I did 50 sit-ups every morning, 50 sit-ups at night, did 50 crunches. 
50 crunches at night, like these, <laughs> it was going to be this magical cure and I was going to do a hundred sit-ups every day and I'm going to have abs. Right. And so that didn't really seem to be doing anything. Like it didn't feel comfortable, but it was like, I also had in my head, no pain, no gain. I'm like, this doesn't feel good, but fitness says no pain, no gain. So it's fine. Then I started thinking, okay, maybe because there was, at first I was really stubborn. I'm like, I don't want to be defined by the diastasis. And that all ties in with, because, and I didn't even want to acknowledge it. I'm like, I'm not going to train as if I have this. I'm tired of being put in different boxes. There's my, you know, the box where I feel like I've been defined by the hernia, the box where I feel like I've been defined by my skin color, because I've, my, I've always been the only black person in the circles that I've been in. I was the black person, only black person in my first school, middle school, high school, in one of the, a handful in my university classes. So I've always just been aware that I'm different and it was something I just wanted to fight against. I'm like, I'm tired of being different. I don't want to be the diastasis person as well. Right. But <laughs> there comes a point that you can't even ignore it. I'm like, okay, well, my body is not doing the same as all these other people's bodies. So I started Googling, okay, diastasis, what type programs? And lots of people start doing that. And so then I started buying the programs and I do the 12 week programs and they were like boring. I do it for like four right. weeks. I'm like, I hate this. This is boring. I don't want to do it. Like, ugh. And so I just started looking like, okay, just what looks interesting. And that's what brought me into weightlifting. I feel like I'm not even in any kind of box because I'm not just like a weightlifter or a runner or a, or a crossfitter. I'm just somebody that just was trying to find movement that I enjoyed doing and movement right. that I felt was serving my body a purpose. Yeah. And I love it because I, I relate in some ways where I didn't want another thing to be wrong with me. Right. Like, and I think that's a theme that so many different people experience and I'm sure it felt so isolating to feel like, okay, here's another thing that makes me different, especially in the fitness industry and communities of where we were getting that information from. Yeah. Yeah. And I think everyone, what we all universally have is everyone wants to fit in. And right. so the language matters because you're looking for, you already, I feel, think most of us already feel different. We're so aware of the things that make us different from those around us. We don't need it pointed out more. And so the marketing almost that says you're different again, it can be like, it can, it can push some people away sometimes. And the diocese marketing like turned me off completely to a point where it was like, again, I felt like, okay, I have no choice. This isn't working for me. So maybe I have to pay attention to this. We've been right. writing that and I'm like, this doesn't make me happy. So I'm like, I'm not happy in my body. I'm not happy with what I'm doing. Like, and I was looking back on it. I know after my second child, I had like postpartum depression. There was outside of it. I would tell my husband, I'm like, I hate where we live. We should, we should move. I hate my job. Like I hated everything in my life. And I realized it was just, I was just so unhappy, but I couldn't hindsight when you look, when you're yes. in it, you don't even know. And I think it's so funny when healthcare professionals say, I ask you at your six week appointment, do you have postpartum depression? Do you feel depressed? Like I've always said, no, no, no. <laughs> First, you don't want to admit you're struggling, but also you don't even know what it is. I was crying every single day, multiple times a day. And I'm like, I don't know what this is. What do, why do I feel like this? But I look back, I'm like, oh, that's what it was. Oh, absolutely. I totally felt the same way. Even, and I thought I was better when I had chance, my second baby. And I look back and like, no, like there were still, like, it was still just a struggle. Even if it wasn't the same kind of postpartum depression and anxiety struggle that I had with my first, it's still just that hard. And it is really 
hard to recognize because it, it's another life transition and you're in a totally different physical and mental state. And it's just everything, like all of your insecurities are, are extremely heightened in that postpartum chapter. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, then I started lifting and I was like, well, sure, I enjoy weightlifting. This is something I don't mind being in the gym doing it. I feel like I'm getting somewhere. And even and what turned, was good for that, because it was like before, before I was so focused on my body and I'd be on my back doing the heel taps. After, you know, you've done it for 10 minutes, you look in the mirror, just maybe I don't look any different. No, <laughs> take a picture and do it the next day. Does it look any different? No. And then it was, it's so frustrating because change takes a long time. Right. But when I started lifting, it wasn't, my body wasn't changing, but I was like, look, two weeks ago, I was doing this press with five pounds. Today, I'm doing it with eight pounds. I'm doing it with 15 pounds. So it had things that I was like feeling good outside of whether my body was changing or not. And that's what brought me back. And it's hard to, market to people with that body too because it's actually so it takes so long to have sustainable changes if that's the only thing that they have to hold on to it's hard to keep them motivated it's hard to keep them coming back at least that's been that was my experience yes that's i it's honestly my favorite thing about strength training especially for women is just it it gives you another way to find love and appreciation for your body that's not just about the aesthetic changes that may or may not happen. You know, it's, it gives you something else that's tangible. Yeah. And as a like person that was five foot seven, 90 pounds, like I was weak, but I was always like, I mean, I didn't, I was aware of it, but I didn't care. I'm like, you know, I'm a girl, girls are damsels, whatever. I can get a big strong man to carry my stuff. Right. But then when I started being able to do more, it's empowering. I was like, look, I can do this myself. I'm strong. Like it's, it felt good. And so right. it took something away from just my body. And that's when I started posting. Cause I was like, I really like this. And it started helping me feel because at home I felt so overwhelmed at the time, my young two first two, uh, almost exactly two years apart. So I had a two year old and a newborn and I was just so overwhelmed and I was on maternity leave and you're, all, you're stuck at home because it's hard to go out with two kids that are like so young right. and really socialize. And so it's like the one hour my husband came, would, I had started just doing, doing at home. When they're napping, I just started following videos online. And then I told my husband, I said, you know what? I want a gym membership because I want to stay committed to this. So the one hour I went to the gym, it was like, it was something that was just for me. I didn't have to think about the kids and just everything else. And that was just so freeing. And so that's what um, kept me coming back too. And that's what made, made me started posting online. So I was like, hey, this is what's making me happy. It was also an accountability thing for me because I've started and stopped so many things in my life. And I'm like, I don't want this to be like, oh, if I'm into weightlifting for six months and I give it up or into exercise. So I'm like, right. I post and I stop. Then people will be like, hey, I thought you were doing that fitness thing. It will kind of call you out on it. And that's what put me online. Absolutely. So then how did weightlifting impact your diastasis at that point in time? Well, over time, I used to just take, I took pictures and then you go to the gym when you start feeling better about yourself. And so you take the pictures and I started putting pictures in the gym. I posted on Instagram. And then because I was seeing myself in pictures, I wasn't weighing myself. I started seeing my body change and it wasn't even my belly. I'm like, my legs change. I'm like, Oh, I kind of like how my legs look now. I kind of like how my shoulders look now. And it was it took the focus away from my belly because that actually took the longest. And then my belly started changing. And at the same time I'm posting, I was getting um, message. People were asking, oh, what are you doing? How are you 
how is your diastasis improving? And I'd say, oh, I'm weightlifting, I'm lifting heavy weights. And I'd get private messages from like fitness professionals and physios saying you shouldn't lift with diastasis, you shouldn't lift mm-hmm. with a hernia, you shouldn't be promoting this. Um, it's actually really dangerous what you're doing. You should be mindful, don't give women advice. And then then I started feeling bad. I was like, oh, like I, like I shouldn't be doing this, but it's working for me, but I don't want anyone else to be hurt. But like, why is it working for me? If I shouldn't be doing this, why does it feel good? And why like, is it helping? And then then I started, and then I, I spoke to my friend and she said, well, I agree that you shouldn't give advice if you're not educated to give the advice. So why don't you get certifications? So I was like, okay, sure. Let me see like what they're saying. So I started just looking online for different certifications. I live in a remote area, so it's hard for me to travel. I traveled where I could. And then I learned things and I felt better kind of, I kind of understood like how strength training works and how progressive overload works and all that stuff. But it was still like, everybody's still saying this doesn't count for diastasis like all this weightlifting helps and it um your muscles respond to the way you train and your body is adapts to the way you train and you can get stronger but not if you have diastasis and so I didn't understand that and even with the hernias I approached my doctor and the hernias I've I didn't even understand what I didn't know what they were in my whole life I just thought I have a big sticky out belly button I have two weird lumps on my belly and I don't really know why I have it and it even after hard. your surgery no, even after my surgery, it was right. never explained to me. I never knew. I knew I had surgery to fix like my ugly belly, but I didn't know why it looked like that. And then after the surgery, and I, it was within a year of the surgery being done, the hernias reappeared. Mm. And so then I was like, that was another thing that was part of the trauma. I'm like, I had the surgery. I went through the pain and the discomfort of surgery. The hernias reappeared afterwards. I also now had this huge scar across my belly. I have it doesn't even, it's not a belly button because it's like, they, I don't even know what they did, but it just, I don't, I don't have a belly button. I have a scar where my belly button should be. I have two weird lumps. So it was just like, this hasn't fixed anything. I thought it's amplified it. It's amplified my body image issues. Right. So yeah, so it was, and then I thought, and people were saying, I was getting messages that saying, you're going to hurt yourself. Shorts right. working up, you're going to hurt yourself. So I made an appointment with my doctor um, to see, speak to the general surgeon. And I saw him and this was after I'd been like lifting for about a year and I had to wait another six months for the appointment because he was busy. And so it's like 18 months later, um, up postpartum, I see my doctor and I said, well, I, learned, I found out online that I have this thing called a diastasis recti. Like, do you want to look at it and say what it is? And I've been lifting weights, but people tell me that I shouldn't. Is there like anything that I should know? Do you think I need surgery for this? Am I going to hurt myself? And he looked at me and he touched me and he's like, you know, he said, you have really good muscle tone. You have really good muscle tone in your abs. Like it feels like really good. He said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really be worried about you. And he said, oh yeah. He said, you, you have a hernia right here. And I said, oh, I didn't know that was what it was. I said, that lump is a hernia. And he's like, do you know what a hernia is? And I said, no, what's a hernia? And he said, a hernia just means a hole. It means there's a hole there in the fascia. And so that's why I can push through. So when it protrudes, it's because something has been pushed into the hole. And that's the protrusion. He said, it could be its tissues, it's fat. It could be like organs. So I'm like, okay, then. I said, I didn't know this. I've lived it with my whole life. I mentioned it to my doctor with my second, with my second pregnancy because it, I just wondered if it would affect the pregnancy. But they, they kind of really didn't say anything. They dismissed me. They, they were like, oh, yeah, it's, it's fine. You're fine. So I was like, oh, well, I didn't know that. So I said, well, is there anything that you would, do I need surgery for it? Do I need to close it? 
He said, um, your hernia is really big. He said, it's actually bigger. Big hernia is actually less problematic than a small hernia. So the concern with a hernia is entrapment, organs getting trapped into the hole and being pinched and losing blood supply and dying, which can, you know, lead to gangrene in the body, which is ultimately can lead to death. So, but a big hernia, things fall in and out of it. So he's like, nothing really can get trapped in your hole because it's so large, your organs stick in and out. So it bulges on and off. But he was like, I wouldn't, I would just leave it alone. He said, I'd fix it if you don't like how it looks. But other than that, it's fine. You're fine. I was like, oh, I said, well, is there anything would you recommend that I don't weight lift? And he said, well, the only thing I'd recommend is maybe don't do upside down punches. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay then. Right. And then I left and that was the appointment. And so like even now today, because I'm like, well, I don't know why he threw upside down punches. I was like, oh, okay then. This is one of my random goals. I'm like, one day <laughs> upside down punches. <laughs> oh God. But I'm yeah. like, he didn't really say, he didn't make I wasn't scared after I spoke to him I'm like okay and I've lived with it my whole life I'm like I'm had two babies with these holes and my body's right. fine so yeah I just kept doing what I was doing so interesting well and the thing that I think I wish more people I mean I'm, I know you get a lot of emails about hernias I get a lot of emails about hernias they are very common and they do often go hand in hand with a diastasis um, just because as when you're pregnant that fascia has like has to create more space. And so it spreads the left and right sides of your abdominal wall spread, but your abs don't necessarily split if you have a diastasis, but a hernia can influence that area. And a lot of people, some people may need surgery or choose surgery and other people like you may choose to not have surgery and just really learn to manage their pressure well. And this is not, this is not medical advice. This is absolutely something you should um, consult with your doctor about and a pelvic floor physical therapist. But I think it's just, it's good to put some more information around like hernias are not uncommon, but they're not necessarily an automatic, you need surgery. And I know um, when I had one, it was like, oh, you just, you should absolutely get surgery. And it was such a tiny hernia. But at the time I just thought, oh, okay, I guess that's the right thing to do. And we just want to do the right thing. (laughs) But that's so hard because everybody has such strong and polarizing opinions. Yeah, absolutely. So how how have you been able to manage your, do you feel like how you manage your diastasis has helped you also manage any symptoms with your hernia? Yeah, because I didn't even really, there was no information on hernias. When I tried to look up, stuff on hernias. I mean, it's such a broad category. So I'm talking about, you know, an umbilical hernia, there's um, hiatal hernias, which are in different right. spots. And just depending on the location, the, it's really the experience with the hernia and even body image, even if you don't like how it looks. And it's not meant to say that as a dismissive term, when you say, if you don't like how it looks, I can fix it. For me, it was like, well, I'm like, I thought, well, I tried to fix it years ago and it's still here and now I have other stuff that I don't like but it's kind of also tidying because I feel like my whole experience is through like as the eyes of a black woman and so sometimes when people don't want to talk about race it does tie into people's lived experiences because for me it's also not wanting to change it being able to accept it I feel like I've had a lifetime of practice learning to accept the things that I cannot change And I've spent like a lot of my life trying to become something else and being frustrated that I wasn't something else. And 
like in the current climate, when we talk about things like racism, and I think people get turned off at that word because they think, well, I'm not a racist. And my, for me, racism, we all have biases and we all have prejudices. Racism is not ha- by ha- having a bias or having a prejudice. Racism is in the action. It's an action, not like a thought. And we all have biases that can lead to racist actions, which is why we have to challenge them. And when we look at like the society, I grew up in England. I grew up in a predominant, black people make up 3% of the English of the United Kingdom population. I grew up in a town that was dubbed by, at the time, as Britain's last white city. And it was like 99.9% white when I moved there. So I always, it was always clear to me that I didn't fit in. And I grew up with just kind of seeing people like, it makes sense. And that's what I'm saying. It makes sense. Like all the advertising was of white faces because that was the population, but there are non-white faces there. So I would see, and that was normalized to me. I'm a big fan of old Hollywood movies. So I love like the things with Audrey Hepburn and Marilyn Monroe. I love them growing up. And so those are the people that I wanted to be like, and the older I got, the more it was clear to me that I wasn't. And so I've had to learn. And I hated being black. Like I hated the the negative stuff I heard about black people I hated that it made me so much different to all my friends I hated that all the people that I looked up to that I thought were beautiful and I wanted to be like didn't look like me so I couldn't see that beauty in me and I wanted to change that and I had to learn that I mean I can't change my skin color so it was one thing I really had to learn to accept so when it came to the diastasis of the hernia I feel like I've had practice learning to accept the things I cannot change because that's the nature of my life So it wasn't, so I'm like, I know I can find a way as long as I can be okay to do the things I love. I can find a way to be okay with this. That is so powerful. Everything you just said has just like, it's just left me speechless. It's really powerful. And I think it's, it's beautiful that you have such powerful life experiences that have been able to help you shift how you navigate any change to your body and perception and all of that. It's just, I know it's really tricky for so many people to see their body change and just to want to fix it. I just want to fix it. If only I could look like this or do that or be like this person instead of just what can I do within to be okay with who I am in the circumstances that, that my life is presenting or my body's presenting or my motherhood is presenting, whatever it might be. Yeah. So Let's talk a little bit about um, diversity in the fitness industry. How do you feel that coaches and gym owners and trainers can be more inclusive and just better allies for, for black people and people of color? I think it's important to, yeah, listen to people's stories. And the importance of that is because we are limited by our lived experience. And so, especially now with all the information on Black Lives Matter, lots of people that aren't from a minority group because I feel like minority groups experience this across the board if you're not from a minority group the stories can be hard to relate to because they're not your stories and it doesn't make you a bad person like that's what your reality is and so it's important so if you can't relate to a story it's important to listen to people and hear their stories and then you can work from it and so I think it's being important to be mindful of what you're listening to we all have an echo chamber we're all going to tend to hear our own voices reflected because we're drawn to people that share similar traits to us, which is like, which is great. It's fine. But also if you're mindful that you're only hearing one voice to search out other voices, you have to be proactive. 
for me, like it's for everyone. I feel for me, I had to look for black voices to be okay with being a black person. And because I had no choice, it's like I realized I'm like, I really hate being black and this isn't okay because it's not something I could change. I'm like, all the books I read are from white authors, all the TVs I show is where people are portrayed in a positive light as starring white people. All my like, my whole circle, my friends are white, my spouse is white. It's like, who it, it wasn't white at the time, but it's like the people I date are white. And how am I going to like myself if I don't expose myself to something else? And so I intentionally would start looking for books written by Black authors to read. I started looking for shows that starred a Black cast to, read, um, to watch. And so it's like, we all have to be intentional. There's nothing wrong with being intentional. That's, that's how you learn. I had to learn to see my stuff, to normalize myself within society. And I feel like that's really what, where prejudices come from. When you only see one voice represented all the time, and this is not just race, it's for every aspect of health and fitness. When only one voice is represented, that becomes your normal and everything seems so strange. And that's what it was for diastasis. And that's why I write about it. And that's why I take so many videos of myself doing so many different things. Because mm -hmm. for a long time, the only voice that was being heard is that diastasis means you're broken. Diastasis means you're broken. Right. And so that's become the normal. When people think, oh, I have a diastasis, I'm broken. I'm like, no, that is not your sentence. You may have a right. diastasis, but there's so much more to it. So I just wanted to keep showing that diastasis, you can be, have this and be strong. And because that was my desire to see that in myself, I started searching for people that were saying the same thing, which is how I found you, which is how I find Brianna Bells, which is how I found pregnant and postpartum athleticism. It's how I find Lisa Marie Ryan, because I'm like, I need a different voice in my life. But you, it's like, we all have to be active. So when the stuff even now with um, Amplify Black Voices and listen to the stories, it can feel like, oh, they're only targeting one race. It's for everybody. I have to listen to... I have to find, I had to find empowering stories of black people because I saw so much, so many sad stories. And I'm like, for you, if you haven't heard the sad stories, if you don't know they exist, then you have to expose yourself to it to see there's so much of it that maybe something needs to change. Absolutely. We get so much from connecting and just listening to each other and just understanding different perspectives and and stories. I think you do such an amazing job of sharing and and being able to have a variety of conversations with people. So thanks for touching on that. How are you, that's like pretty much our last question, how are you implementing your work as a pregnancy and postpartum athleticism coach online and then also in your community? What what does that look like for you right now? Well, I'm I was the first pregnant and postpartum athleticism coach in the Northwest Territories. I'm now the second one of my friends got certified. And so I've just been using that to speak specifically because a lot of fitness information, at least in my town and I see generally on social media is targeted to the general populations, to the quote unquote, the normals, to the mm -hmm. people that everyone sees all the time. So I feel like I try to write and that's, again, from my lived experience, I, I try to write to the outcast. I always feel like I've been an outcast. I've tried to fit in and it hasn't worked for me. And I had to learn to embrace being an outcast because honestly, sometimes you just can't change things and there's nothing wrong with learning to embrace it. But it's just like exercise. It's going to take time for your body to change. Embracing your body, being okay with how you look, it's going to take time. It's small and small steps. Well, I think that you've done a great job online of just being to me, oh, yeah, you seem so confident. Like you just seem so confident in how you share and what you know. And it 
it's so easy to trust you. And I see so many people that look to you for quality information on diastasis because it's it's your lived experience and you understand the emotions and you have found your way into um, into training with a hernia, into finding just like some body acceptance and but understanding the body image struggles that they never fully go away. They're always going to be present, but knowing how to just manage that better and manage the diastasis and then putting a voice to that and a lived experience. And I know so many different people look to your your professional voice for that help and assurance. And I just, I'm so grateful that you have brought that to the table and um, you're doing a really great job. That's why I try market swiping. Hats people say, well, if you want to grow your social media, you have to market to the general population. And I'm like, I understand that. It makes sense from a business standpoint, but I'm like, that's who everyone speaks to. I feel like for me, I'm like, I feel like I've just been so different my whole life. I'm like, my color made me different. The hoonies made me different. The diastasis made me different. I've just been moving around. I feel like literally I've lived on three continents in my life. I've moved from so many cities because I've always been trying to find this place that I fit in. And I just had to learn that I realized that I'm not going to fit in anywhere unless I kind of fit in for myself. I have to accept myself. Nobody is going to accept me until I accept myself. And people really they reflect what you put out. And if you put out like so self-loathing, it's almost like people are drawn to people they want to be like, or they see something that they like. And people are, that's why people are drawn to confident people because we all want confidence. And it's not like they don't like you, but if you're always putting out like this self-loathing, I don't like myself, I don't want anyone to be around me. It's like, well, if you don't want anyone to be around me, why should I want to be around you? And so I'm like, I, I write to those people. I write to talk about diastasis because it's like, I see you. I know what it feels like to be unseen. So I see you. I write about hernias. I was so embarrassed about it. And then I realized if I'm so embarrassed about it, then how many other people are embarrassed about it? Because there's no information because we're also ashamed. So I was like, okay, look, (laughs) this is what I have. I am ashamed about it, but I'm here and I see you too. Like uh, you're, you're not the only one that feels like this. I can't be the only one that feels like this. And then people started reaching out. And I was like, oh, I'm not the only one. And so and that's even as a black woman. That's why I'm like, it's not, it's not going to be the big population, but those people will come too because it's like the people that don't feel seen, it's like you see them, but also it's confidence. Even the people that are seen, they're like, I have all these things that are supposed to make me feel good. I have a six pack, I have the looks, I have the body and I still don't feel good. And even if you say, look at her with all her flaws and she's so confident, what is it about her? And they'll be drawn in too. I feel like if you focus on the people that aren't seen, everybody else will see it too. But those people, like it means so much, it means so much to feel seen when you have felt unseen your whole life. And that's what I write from my experience. So I'm like, it's not being black doesn't define me, but it's tied into my lived reality. It's tied into every experience that I have. So it is part of me. So I mean it's important to see my color because my color is part of who I am. It doesn't define me, but it is me. If you don't see color, you don't see me. If you, yeah. <laughs> I just, I just adore you. And everything you've said today is so powerful. And it's just such a great perspective that touches on so many things that I think people just need to hear and need to know. And I thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom with us today. Thank you. Thank you for giving me um, a space and a platform to share it. I appreciate it.
I'm with you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over to my website, www.briannabattles.com and find my free and paid resources and make sure to connect with me on Instagram at brianna.battles. Talk to you soon.